This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Her name is Katie Howell. She is the CEO of Immediate Future. She's an expert in finding microtrends before anyone else on social media that create huge buying opportunities for her clients. And if you are interested in anything to do with social media, the issues that divide us, how to spot trends coming, the roller coaster of building an agency over what is now a 20-year career, then you will find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. We also discuss diversity and inclusion in the agency community after the murder of George Floyd early, early in 2020, and a lot of other people were posting uh, sort of supporting black squares on social media to show their support, she went in the complete opposite direction, posted this really emotional, passionate, heartfelt video on LinkedIn that was so real, very bold, and quite vulnerable for any agency owner. And it got a lot of support and attention on social, but really quite scary to kind of put herself out there in the way that she did. She's an independent agency owner at the end of the day, and it could have really divided opinion. So we had a really deep, honest conversation about race and inequality and the challenges that we face in the marketing industry in this country. She also talks about the issues of just growing an independent business over 20 years, right? The highs and lows. So she talks about winning Sony EMI for 1.5 million, then going from there to the crash of 2008, where she was struggling. She talks about her mistakes, working too much on the business and not enough time with her family, over-reliance on one client. I'm going to stop talking now and just say, without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Katie Howell. Katie Howell is the CEO of Immediate Future. She has run the company for almost 17 years where everything they do is underpinned by social media. Campaigns are built around four main skills to break the social boring, strategy fit for social, thumb stopping creative, performance smashing paid social, social media management with a mission. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Katie Howell, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Yay, thank you for having me. So excited to have you on the show. We've got so much to talk about. Like, I hope we can fit this in in an hour. Um, your background in history is absolutely fascinating. I love what you've done with an immediate future. In 1987, you get your degree from Leeds University in genetics and plant sciences. You don't see many agency owners with that sort of degree and background. What were your plans for your career <laughs> at that point? Um, I was a bit lost, I'll be fair, because partly because I did the degree because I love sciences. I found my brain was very science orientated um, and I enjoyed it. And I thought I would be this person that would change the world. I was going to invent crops that were drought resistant and wow. what well, the, the sort of stuff we um, we think of as GM crops now. But back then, this is before the human genome had even been plotted. So I had this great adventure in mind. However, when I graduated, I realized that a vast majority of that was stuck in a lab with a pipette. In, <laughs> and I just thought... <laughs> Nah, <laughs> mm. not for me. So not for, not for me. So when I came to the workforce, unfortunately, it was right in the middle of the mid eighties recession, where they would interview you ten at a time and basically tell those that had lost the job interview to get out. <laughs> and so my first job was I need to make some money so I don't have to live at home and I can live in London and not in Hertfordshire with my parents because mm. I've been living away from home for three years. I didn't really fancy going back. Um, and so my first job was in telesales. Now, that's really interesting. Mine, mine too. So hard no sales, very tough, not easy at all. A lot of people run away from that because it's repetitive and quite boring. But financially, the upside is good if you are a good salesperson. What have you taken away from those experiences as a telesales person that have proved useful when running the agency? So I would say I grew a very thick skin in that 18 months I did that job because you get told to sod off quite a lot <laughs> not always as politely as that <laughs> so you grow this incredibly thick skinned um, and the other part of it is there is absolutely no fear of failure so at the end of 18 months I just thought well you know I can ask they can say no mm -hmm. more interestingly I think I learned some of the arts that sit behind negotiation 
like putting a price out and closing my mouth, like anchoring numbers and closing my mouth. Mm. I learned an awful lot about how people's behaviours changed. And back then, it was just landlines. There wasn't mobile phones. There wasn't anything else that I could show anyone. I had to call them. I was selling ad space in a trade magazine. It was, you know, it was pretty tedious. Uh, and that's why I eventually moved on from it. But, you know, I bought a house as a consequence of my commission. So wow. I was kind of like, quite pleased. <laughs> so you did you did quite well then. You must have been a, a pretty good salesperson. So so tell us the story of, of how you started Immediate Future, because you started in April 2004. What factors led to that decision? Tell us the founding story. Yeah, I often, Nathan, like to um, call myself an accidental agency owner. There was no master plan. So I'd had my second baby. I was uh, working at DDB. I spotted this opportunity and online, started to do some work and it jumped ship, um, left the organisation and to freelance predominantly. I thought this is a cracking idea, particularly with two little ones running around. <laughs> <laughs> then ended up working about 17 to 20 hours a day. Wow. I mean, just insane. Sure. Um, and got for two years, did very, very well. I had 20 clients, including EMI at the time. Amazing. But it was just me and small children. You know, it was, I was frantic. So I said to my husband, I, I got a bit poorly. And I said to my husband, I can't do both. My mother said to me, who also used to run her own business. She said to me, um, why don't you, you have a choice, give up some clients or find your, or find someone to help you. And so I talked to my husband in 2004, we launched Immediate Future sort of officially um as an agent well even then I don't think I knew I was an agency we we, we got someone to help with the admin <laughs> seriously um and um and so we kind of grew a bit organically I, I would say it wasn't until about 2006 that I thought we're an agency it still hadn't kind of quite occurred to me what I'd done right Which, so what were the clients what were you doing for clients in the early days those those 20 clients and, and how did it develop so it started much more on the community side of things. So message boards, community lists, which nobody ever remembers anymore. Uh, so Google groups. Um, and then as, and mostly it was predominantly message boards and MySpace. Think of it that way. Blogs. Mm. Getting bloggers to write about you back in the day when bloggers actually wrote decent stuff and had mm. some form of influence. <laughs> um, and and now what happened is that we grew. We kept switching and growing because... As we went along, along comes Twitter. Uh, Facebook was there, but it was very studenty, and you couldn't put, set up a company page. And so everything kept changing. That first five or six years mm. was constant change. Mm. And with it, I was learning how to run an agency at the same time. So it, we just flexed incredibly, effectively offering what you would now consider social media. But at the time, there was no blanket term for it. So we called it all sorts of things from Marcoms to digital PR. I mean, we just, where else, it just didn't have a name. Sure. So how has the business grown over the next subsequent 16 years? I mean, tell us how you grew from just yourself and your husband to where you are now. Well, my husband gave up work to look after the kids. So his involvement in that was helping my children grow up who are now in their 20s and have a cracking relationship with their daddy as a consequence because... They spent so much time around sure. around him, so so that was fantastic. And then, mm. but but my business has grown. It's been a roller coaster, and it's probably very much the truth for nearly every uh, indie agency over, uh, that, that's twenty years old. Is we've had our highs and we've had our lows. Um, our highs was winning Sony Electronics and being handed £1.2 million pounds worth, worth of retainer budget and going, oh, my God, I've only got three staff. <laughs> what am I going to do? How am wow. I going to deliver this? Um, to uh, the 2008 crash, which saw us struggle our way through roughly around 2010, 2011 is when it hit us, saw us struggle, making horrific mistakes, really horrific mistakes, um having tell us a mistake that you remember well co over dependency on one client which any good advisor will tell you <clears throat> is a big mistake 
Uh, and there's me going, no, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be all right. Until <laughs> mm. they walk away. It, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've made all sorts of, you know, ho- uh, not checking formulas on spreadsheets and, and hiring the wrong people and trying desperately to make them work um, and living too much of my life through the agency and not enough through with my family. I, I, I have such an endless list of mistakes, all of which I've learned from. So it's fine. You know, move and grow. <laughs> Interesting. And when you were going through those challenging times did you get any external help or support or did you feel as though you could model through and sort of figure it out by yourself I mean what were you using to navigate at that time two things so the first is yes I did look for external support uh, and had a number of people who've joined me in the last 16 years to support the business I would say I'm sharper now and don't want somebody uh, like an NED or somebody in my business, um, because I've been doing this for two, I mean, 30 years doing it in a career is quite, it's quite challenging to find things I don't know. But um, so now I bring in the experts and I have them in for sort of 12 to 15 weeks where they come and support us as an agency to do something specific. But the other side is community. I'm lucky. I have the most wonderful set of community acquaintances and friends and groups where when I'm when I need the moral support or I'm caught in a dilemma I can throw that open either to the bigger community groups or pick up the phone to someone and say I'm really struggling with this what should I do Hmm. and that that I'd say you need both you can't you can't just have one person from on high who's your chair and you know, blah, blah. I don't think that's enough. I think you need to be taking in a huge amount of information and perspectives and making your own decisions. And that would be that that's a priority for me. Now I've been swayed too often against my better instinct. And I'd like to I'd like to think now what I do is weigh up all the options and then bite my lip and get on with it, <laughs> grit my teeth or whatever it is. <laughs> so over a 30 year career, as you say, in sort of 17 years in the immediate future, I'm sure, as you said, you've made a lot of mistakes and a lot of things that you wish you'd have done differently. If you were to go back to day one, again, when you were setting up with your husband, what things would you have done differently that you now know maybe didn't work out so well? What would I have done differently? I'm going to be really, I'm, I'm not a great lover in regret or wishful thinking. I think I am who I am today because of the failures and the successes. And so I, the only bit of advice I'd give to, give to myself is, uh, you know what, believe in yourself a little bit more than you do. D- d- stop worrying what other people think and just get on with it. Um, but I'm quite a bold person anyway. So um, it was ne- I was never in danger of collapsing in on myself. But I think I often got trepidatious. Is that a word? Trepidatious. You know what, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, know, I know what you mean. Yeah, trepidatious. Yeah. Let's when, go with it. Let's just go with it. Um, about some decisions. And that really happened, I would say, about halfway through when you know, at the beginning, we were pioneers. Nobody knew. I mean, I had to go and persuade people that the that social was a thing, let alone social. But when the competition stepped up and, and more senior agency heads began to turn their their faces in our direction, in the direction of social media, I felt like I wasn't good enough. And I think that was probably that bit in the middle where I defocused from my energy I put it in a different direction I put it in the wrong direction quite often and I'd say that's that's quite normal that's you know bear in mind I was in my early 30s when I started this you know I'm now in my about to head to my mid 50s so it's kind of like yeah (laughs) yeah you you were you were clay you were being molded uh and, and kind of just navigating by yourself so I mean over the the last 16 years social media has changed so much and there are new agencies that have come on the market offering lots of different types of services. How do you think about what to do next as an agency owner? What services to offer? What direction to go in? Whether or not you should grow and expand? How aggressively? Like, what's your decision-making process for thinking about what to do next? I think there's two parts to this. The first is that I, I think 
I read, uh, I absorb so much that I tend to see trends coming. It's how I spotted this one. It's how I spotted every trend. I tend to see them coming. Um, and I don't know how I sprinkle that dust on things. It's just I spend a lot of time watching, hmm. reading, paying attention to what people are saying, what's trending, what not big trends, but in terms of business and agency. The bit that most people don't like is I kind of have an idea. I wake up on a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning and, you know, bless my leadership team for running behind me on this. But I'll go, oh, my God, you know what we should do? We should do a whole big series of articles on this. And you know what? We do it. And and sometimes it works. I'd say 90 percent of the time it works. We're spot on. We might have to tweak it a bit. But, yeah. but I am a real kind of, instead of doing four years worth of, is this a good idea for us to launch this division? Like when we started doing video, I think the decision was made probably in an hour that we should do it ourselves for social, for certain types of social. We should mm. we should get our own equipment in. I don't think it took very long. To, <laughs> I kind of go for it. <laughs> yeah, I see. So is the approach kind of throw us, you know, throw as much stuff at the wall and, and, and hope that something sticks and kind of do it, do stuff quickly, like fail quickly. It's that, that like Silicon uh, Valley mindset of do it, see what the sort of results you get. And then if it's working, keep doing it. Or if not, stop it. And I guess you're small enough so that you can do that quite quickly and easily. Yeah. And I think it's also, it's more like jumping off a cliff and then working out whether or not you brought your parachute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and I'd Scary. say, but it's also doing so knowing and it's not like I'm going, I think I would think differently if I suddenly went, you know what, we're going to get into out of home. I would want to go and look at the market. But because nearly all my business innovations and thinking and expansions sort of are growing off the original idea, you know, it's like, well, we should be looking at this or this is a market we should target. For instance, when we decided to go after, at the beginning of this year, after direct-to-consumer, it's it's a natural step from the work we were already doing with the food industry. Do you see what I mean? So it's not it's not quite as brave as I made it sound. Mm. But I do think that having spoken to a lot of people, and maybe this is a digital thing, it's sometimes it's worth being the early mover and taking a chance because you learn quickly. It's not so much that you fail quickly, you learn and tweak. It's not that the whole idea fails it's like oh this idea works but it would work better if i did this you learn how those things and changes happen which you which when nobody else is doing it is the only way to do it you can't spend hours tweaking it and and finessing it on a spreadsheet and then going live with it it's a slightly different approach and it wouldn't work if it was a product and it wouldn't work if it was a program it works because it's comms mm. Let's talk about what you said earlier, the fact that you learn a lot, you read a lot, you observe people and social behaviours, because you say your passion is social behaviours. In, in fact, you actually love understanding why people do what they do. For fun, you often just open up Brandwatch just to see what people are interested in. That makes you really perfect for a job in social media. Um, explain. Uh, yeah, I I love this. Uh, my mother always called me a why child. And uh, I think I'm just constantly that person that said, why are people doing this? Why is everybody interested in this? Why why is suddenly this trending or that trending? Or why is it lip syncs matter? Or why is it people are dancing? Or why is it this? Hmm. People are sending jokes around. Why is it, you know, uh, Diaper John, Don is, is, is trending? You know, why is that happening? Hmm. I, I can't help myself. And my curiosity is probably you know, the bit that I can find, I can go down rabbit holes happily and and find interesting nuggets. I, I'll give you I'll give you an example because I just think this is fascinating. So we just did a recent um report on insurance and social media. How do people talk about insurance when it comes to social media? Well one of the really interesting so this is the bit that I think is the best. The one of the really interesting things that come out of it is that on social media people are saying we will buy 
policies that are clear. We want clarity in the policy because people, maybe they have more, I don't know the answer to this without doing a full survey, but maybe they have more time. So they're reading the policy. Maybe they want to make sure that certain elements are being included and they're finding the complexity of some of the insurance documents too much. So they would go with someone, regardless of price, where they can understand what they're buying. So nice little nugget. It's a bit like the Christmas and July stuff. Hmm. That we also wrote, uh, we spotted, I spotted this trend that Christmas was trending in July and I was thinking, what the hell is happening? Hey. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I hate early Christmas. I'm usually the week before Christmas, so I was particularly mad at this idea. So this week? Yeah, yeah, yeah this week uh, or next week even. I am quite, yeah, I like my thing to happen in one big fell swoop. And uh, sure. so, so the, the big, the, the interesting thing there is what was happening is people were trying to wanted to buy me gifts. They were feeling isolated and they wanted to buy gifts for themselves. So they so people were buying but this is my Christmas present to myself, which means I can have it in July, you know, it's that kind of thing. Oh, interesting. And uh, by understanding these, there is a there is a wonderful opportunity to open up what appear to be very small opportunities, an opportunity that if you sell, you know makeup or, or or face cream or essential oils or whatever your thing is there there is a gap appearing in the market in july which you can make the most of and i think that for most of the brands that we work with that is really understanding these nuances these what feel like small things but they're not these mm. bubbles and they're not big trends they're not us all following one huge trend they are Really interesting micro insights, trends. micro trends. They're, they're not even trends, weirdly. They're like surges in the way that we change culturally. Hmm. So the way we change culturally says that we want to look for things that are more sustainable. We want stuff that's got less packaging. We want to take more time to research and we want clarity in our lives and we want certainty. So all of these things are changing the way we are as, as a kind of buying group buying audience because that's what i'm interested in i'm interested in how people can be triggered or motivated to buy something because that's what i do for my clients and it's your curiosity that got you to think in that way you you naturally have a curious mind because you're a questioner you think well you know what is the answer to that question what are the questions that people aren't asking themselves and i think a lot of people don't aren't curious in the way that you're curious and I think it's probably an underrated skill. I just got finished reading a book by Brian Grazier uh, called A Curious Mind, A Secret to a Bigger Life. He's the guy that made a um, movie producer. He made uh, A Beautiful Mind. He made Liar Liar. He made uh, Apollo 13. Lots of iconic, amazing films. And he does these things every week. He Very similar to the podcast, right? He, he has curiosity conversations. Interesting people that he just wants to learn more about he'll go and just have a conversation with them for 20 minutes because he just wants to, he's curious. But he says, off the back of that curiosity, so many things open up for him. But so many people just aren't curious. And, you know, curiosity is really a superpower because it questions those people in authority. Why do you have the power and I don't? Why am I a serf and you're a king? And that's quite threatening to people in power. But it's quite liberating for those who really use the power of curiosity to their advantage. Yeah. And if you couple it with with learning to face the fear. So when I'm when I'm confronted with a difficult scenario, which, you know, happens in everybody's life, I instead of avoiding it, I'll face it and say, OK, well, if this happens, if this all goes wrong, what will I do? It might not be the same life I live. It might be a completely different life I have to live as a consequence of this. But what would I do? And as soon as I do that, the fear becomes less. It becomes manageable and you can move on. Now, that, I think, does take a personality type to do that. But couple both that and curiosity, what happens is when you see an opportunity, as I did with two small kids and then getting my husband to give up work so that he could look after them, meant one single salary and a mortgage, didn't buy that house outright, and a mortgage, and all the bills coming to someone who had now technically no permanent employment. Scary. Very scary. But you felt the fear and, and did it anyway. This year, the Well Company partnered with MailChimp and the Agency Collective 
to take their bench press survey globally. This will be the biggest report in the world, including both agencies and freelancers. By taking part in the report, you'll be able to compare yourself against your peers in several key areas, including hourly rates, profitability and sales performance. You'll also discover what the top performers do differently. And there will be insights in there that will have the power to transform the way that you do business for good. Their long-term vision is that every agency and freelancer will be able to benchmark themselves against their peers based on size, location, and the type of business that they are. It only takes 15 minutes to complete. And then, as if that wasn't enough, Peter will be appearing on our show in March to discuss the most important trends and surprising developments off the back of the report for agencies. So don't miss that podcast either. The link to complete the survey is in the description. It only takes 15 minutes, as I said. Thank you very much. Speak to you soon. Just before we go on to talking about your ideas around business development, which I think is really fascinating, by the way, and we have to talk about the viral video that you shared at the beginning of the year that went viral. I'm just gearing you up for that. Just before we go on to those subjects, what would you say is the superpower of immediate future? What makes you different or special or stand out from the other social media agencies out there? I think we are questioning as an agency. I mean, curiosity, courage, and collaboration are our three values at Immediate Future. Mm. And what I mean by that is that we are actually quite hypercritical of ourselves. So when we talk about breaking the social boring, which is frankly our only job on social, our first job, our primary job, because if we can't get someone's attention, if we can't get your the brand's audience attention, no matter how cute our video is or how wonderful our creative is or whatever the right. message is, it's, a, it's, it's irrelevant. And, and paid will take you so far, but I need your attention. And to get your attention means that we have got to have two things, two or three things. One is curiosity, of course, question ourselves, the courage to be very brave about it. And, and the, the last one is diversity. Hmm. You cannot be in social media and all be a homogenous gang because the audience we're speaking to is not a, a is not homogenous. I was reading the Hootsuite report this morning that's out on social trends for 2021. And one of them is is saying we can no longer ignore the baby boomer or whatever wrapper we want to put around them, but those <laughs> over the age of 55, 56, those over the age of, are actually active on social media and they are buying. Hmm. You can't pretend they're not there, but you turn to any social media agency and I've yet to find many of them with people as old as I am. <laughs> That's for sure. Mm. But but my perspective is different from my colleague who's in their 20s. Of course it is. It has I have to to, yeah. Otherwise, I've learned nothing in 30 years. You know, it's just it's so I think diversity in terms of means that we we automatically challenge each other. Because we go, well, that isn't the same for me. That isn't how I look at the world. And that I think that makes social better your social marketing better let's talk a little bit about business development because you've got some really fascinating ideas around this which we talked about last week you have an approach called nudge nurture explain <laughs> i love the way you throw those across to me explain yourself girl um <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> so yeah so i have been in biz dev and sales for quite some time and I and I potted in between that and and doing my marketing side so um but it occurs to me that uh like all professions it tends to go full circle I and mean, when I started it was all yeah pick up the phone you know talk to someone blah 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 and you it was just a numbers game and 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 over the years it's evolved till fairly recently into a place where it's it's much more about trying to get an appointment. So it's appointment setting, but it's just being done by spammy. I mean, who doesn't get those horrible spammy emails? Have you seen my email? I've just sent you an email last week that you didn't respond yeah. to. I didn't respond to it because I'm not interested. Um, <laughs> just following up yeah, on the message yeah, I sent you 20 God, times before. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it sort of evolved into this. And and I I was thinking about how what my um first boss ever said to me about telesales she said it's not about the you don't sell to them on the first call 
on the first call you have a conversation with them then you send something in the mailer then you do this and it, it was it, it, really old-fashioned sales technique that those of us who've come up through the ranks that way would would know it takes eight to 12 touch points to make a sale I think it, I've always thought it was 12, but apparently it can be as low as eight. But mm. that's because that's what I aim for. And all nudge nurture is that simple principle that says, I'm just going to keep talking to you. I'm going to build a relationship with you. I'm going to nudge you towards it. I'm going to make you ask the question of your current agency or your internal staff. Why are we choosing to use vanity metrics with social media? That's a little nudge. That's a nudge that you shouldn't be using just vanity metrics. You should be looking mm. at the broader scale things. The pe- one of the reasons I'm so bold about some of the statements is I want to give people phrases they can take away because that's the nudging. And then the nurturing part is about having conversations, which I love doing anyway, so that's fine. But, you know, that means actually having conversations, not selling you stuff but talking to you, finding out more about you as a person and whether or not we can help. And I would say about 50% of the people I speak to, we wouldn't do business with. Okay, they're too small. I mean, I had one on Friday, the other, they're just too small for us. They wouldn't, we're an organisation that deals with fairly well-known, recognisable brands on both B2B and B2C. They're too small. I still had the conversation. I knew they'd be too small because they have one outlet. I already knew it. But I had the conversation for two reasons. The predominant one is I am a real believer in pay it forward, which is help other people out first because people have helped me out and asked for nothing in return. So I can't pay them back, but I can pay it down the line. I can pay it forward. Mm. Um, So somebody who's struggling with their social, who just needs to be put on the right path, that needs to have a conversation, I will do that as much as I feasibly can within the hours I have in my life. The other is that I also have a big network of people I meet who can do all sorts of things from freelancers to smaller agencies or agencies who work with small businesses, all of which I can refer. So why not? Doesn't matter to me, does it? And every now and then it all comes back to me. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Somebody says, oh, I've got a lead for you or I've got... But but that isn't my motivation. My motivation is pure and simply to pay it forward and help people out. And really? it makes you feel good. Do you know, it uh, makes you feel really good, makes it worthwhile. Yeah, when you're helping people. So so how talk about how that approach of nudge, nudge nurture has worked for immediate future. What what sort of success have you seen with it? What sort of results have you seen? And over what period of time? If you were to give this advice to agency owners listening to this where should they how should they start doing that if they want to employ a similar strategy for themselves so you have to couple nudge nurture with another part which is fame so you have to create a voice for your agency and be very clear what differentiates you uh like when you ask me i can tell you and if you asked any of my team they could tell you what differentiates us uh, um, but also we are thought leaders and we're notable ones. And I na- I literally sit on the doorstep of magazines and pe- papers till I got till I got the break I needed. I spoke at teeny tiny events, which meant me uh, traipsing up and down the country to get it, to get good at what I was doing till I could do the bigger events, till I got onto the circuits. But that you need the fame and the nudge and the nurture. The two sit together because you now carry authority. Um, but. There is a flaw in the agency way of doing new business, and that is that we think short term. We're looking at next quarter's sales. And then what happens is we get really, really busy and we stop doing anything. And we then um, scramble around when that work is finished, going, oh, my God, we need to get some sales in. So I really urge this year more than any because of the year we've had and the fact that relationships and uh, nurturing are going to be your sales friends that you start to think look, the agencies start to think long term and and say we're not going to have peaks and troughs but we're go- it's going to take I don't know three months six months even a year maybe depending on where you're start where you're starting from before we see the value in this mm-hmm. because 
Nancy Nurture is a big program that requires you to have a marketing engine. I mean, our team produce a blog every single working day. We, wow. During the pandemic, we have done a report virtually every 12 weeks. We run an event every six weeks. I mean, when I mean Nudge Nurture, we do it at a terrific speed and it will break us into new markets and it will raise the game. So when you know other small independents like us say, how do you get these big clients? Well, because I just keep I am the person who's waving at them through the window, <laughs> like some weird creep. Hi. Hey, look, I've got something useful for you. Hello. Remember me? <laughs> creepy. Creepy. <laughs> creepy, yeah. But at some point you let them in. Yeah. And it's just, I'm I'm really, I'm really keen that, that this, there is a real opportunity, but you need to have a plan. You need to understand how you gently push people into the place where you are. What I'm trying to get to is that when they say we need to improve, A, they recognise they need to improve their social media, which many of them don't at the moment. So, A, go look at your social media because it's crap. All right. And then the other part of it is when they then do that, they go, you know what? Let's look at let's look at immediate future. So they know us. I don't have to worry about the search engines because I'm in their brains. We are the experts. And I cannot tell you how many procurement pitch lists I, we have been invited to where everybody else is a big network agency and ours. Huh. Really interesting. Because you've built that fame. You've you've built, you've created that thought leadership. You've demonstrated your expertise. You've done it over a sustained period of time to the point where brands put you in the mix with the other big agencies. Because of course you are. You know what you're talking about. You've demonstrated it. Is Is that the sort of thing that mm. you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But it does require an engine. It does require you to think and read a lot but if you're going to be the thought leader i can tell you you have to read quite a lot because you have to think of something to say <laughs> sure the, the clues in the title thoughts <laughs> leadership right there are some days like this monday morning that we're recording this on i am i haven't got a thought in my head <laughs> and i gotta write something and i'm thinking oh good god what am i gonna write about you, you, well, you shared a few thoughts with us so far, Katie. So if if this is you not having any thoughts in your head, I, I really want to see what it looks like when you do have oh, thoughts you in your head. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about that video because I first came across you when you posted an emotional, heartfelt video on LinkedIn in response to the the killing of George Floyd um, earlier this year, and you called out a lot of agency owners no, no, for for not doing enough really mm. and almost being complicit somewhat in the in the problem um it it was vulnerable it was emotional it got a lot of attention on social i've got a ton of questions about it we don't have the time to to finish them but the first question i really want to ask you about that is you know when everyone else was posting sort of black like black squares on their linkedin why did you feel like you had to make such a public statement um, I think I, well, I don't think, I, I was angry. I'll be really honest with you. Um, having worked so long in agency and also just being in agency networks where where the typical indie agency owner is a typical man of a certain colour with or without beards um, was the virtue signalling. I think there was an agency in particular that was that had strung together a lot of the American protests and then gone, but we care. And I just looked at this and I was furious. Mm. I was furious because the leadership team there were, were not of any ethnicity at all. And so I was furious. And, um, and I thought, this is ridiculous because actually in agency we are... Yeah, to a large degree, mostly um, fairly, you know, liberal in our views. We'd like to think of ourselves as being terrifically open-minded. And certainly I've never worked or been with an agency that says you're not allowed in because of the colour of your skin. Um, or have I ever heard them say that? However, there is a different kind of racism, an intellectual racism that um, has always sat in agency that has made life damn awkward I mean there is a really big clue in the fact that I left network agency and that is because there was a ceiling there was a place that I did not fit and I, I can't make myself fit so I went away and fitted myself into my own set of shoes do you know what I mean made it work for me and, and that's 
you know, that's fine for then and everything else. I would like the world to be different. So, yes, it was very emotional. It's not something I've ever, I've always championed women's issues, but I've never, never felt I could, had the authority to have, to be the voice of people of colour. And particularly, I was very anxious in doing that video because, for those of you who can't see me, I am of Asian parentage, mm. uh, Indian parentage, um, but I'm fairly pale Indian, so some people don't think I'm Indian. And more importantly, I'm not black. And I thought, you know, I don't want to be the voice for all these people who have had all sorts of different experiences. I'm not black. I'm not Muslim. I'm not uh, a young black man. I'm not a, a Punjabi. I'm not a, do you know what I mean? All these things. I can't speak for everyone. I can't speak. But you have your own perspective. But I have my own perspective. But I'm nervous about that. I'm nervous. Mm. I can't. Me too. That uh, It's terrifying, isn't it? I feel it that there's, there's so much responsibility on me to say the right thing. Yes. To... And to be the voice of uh, a whole load of people. Yeah. Uh, which, you, which you can't be. It's impossible to be. Um, and I feel the same pressure myself, being a, a black male, to say the right thing um but i also feel that a lot of black people that are on social media i i almost feel as though there is an they're articulating it a little bit too much i don't want that to be the only thing that we talk about or that we're known for diversity and inclusion there are so many more things that make us interesting and fascinating um and that we so much more value that we bring to the table and i think there's a danger um, in that right now but sorry I, I interrupted you no no uh, not at all I'm, I'm interested in this and this, this what we're doing now is the bit that I think needs to change so I was very heartened by what happened because a whole number of people responded there were a few one or two little nasty digs but apart from that really yeah isn't there always, always. Um, um, but there were pretty thousands of responses and what I really saw over the ensuing few weeks was a real willingness for people to want to change. And that hasn't quite, it's not dialed back hugely. It's dialed back a bit as in not everybody's talking about it, but, but it hasn't, the people I'm speaking to are still trying to drive through change, but then mm. I'm concerned now as we head into 2021, I'm concerned wow. that it will end up in departments or as policy changes it will get shuffled into the cupboard under the stairs you know the one which every six months you go we must sort the cupboard under the stairs out because it's yeah, such yeah. a that one yeah. put it in the diversity yeah, department yeah right? exactly yeah. that's that's for them to exactly with. and i i think the answer to changing uh, and this, again my perspective changing those microaggressions the people that said to me oh you must come from a big family or or the times I've it's been expected that I'll either make the tea for a meeting or the time when I stood next to one of my employees and a man said to me, you must work for him. You know, so uh, all those microaggressions where assumptions are made, the only way we're going to change things like that is to talk. It's only when you walk in another man's shoes or woman's shoes. It's only when you have empathy that you guard your tongue and you change your perspective. And so I I feel that next year should be the year for talking to each other, not just championing these three people of colour who are going to lead DNI. I mean, sitting down and forcing conversation time into people's diary so that they can talk about their attitudes. So structured conversation, not just random Let's go for a beer conversation, mm. although that's quite nice. But a structured, well-ordered conversation that says, how do you feel about um, bias in recruitment? What are your thoughts? And let's have the debate in our agencies. Let's see what all the perspectives are, because that will give us a much more rounded approach. But in that conversation will also allow us to say, oh, my word, I didn't know when I did this, this could be seen as being offensive. I didn't think it was terrible that I don't clean the plates and cups away at the end of a meeting, but leave that to the account manager females that are in the room. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's making people more aware. And that won't happen through policy or a DNI department, in my view. That will come from talking, sharing ideas, empathy, in other words. That, that, that's, the, that's the real takeaway for, from this year for me. It's, it's that word of empathy, which has kind of been overused a, a lot this year, but 
that's essentially what you're saying. We need to kind of walk in each other's shoes to see where each other are coming from. But but the question really is, should this be the should the average agency owner really be concerned about this? Look, they're running a you know a fifty man agency or a thirty man agency or twenty woman agency, should I say? They're running a, a business. It's complicated. It's difficult. It's stressful. Should they also be thinking about diversity and inclusion? Is it is it even their problem? Uh, there's loads Discuss. of stats. Well, yeah, exactly. Thanks. Um, big question. Um, so, yes, of course, it is. And all the stats, and I'm not going to reel them all off because they're reeled off in every single D&I conversation about it making business better. But I'll tell you this from my perspective, to bring it back to people's behaviours, is that um, if we want to be good marketeers, whether that's digital or otherwise, you want to be good marketeers, we need to understand our audiences. And all our audiences are not shaped like us. You know, I am an old middle class woman. You know, it's my perspective of being a 25 year old rent. I mean, I own my own house. 20 something renting. I have a car. 20 something commuting. I, there is only so far I can take my experience into marketing. And they said, so this is why it matters to agencies. We really need to understand our audiences because relevant brands can't get away with being irrelevant anymore. Relevancy is everything, whether you're doing out of home and digital or TV, it doesn't make any difference. If you don't resonate, you get sucked into either cancel culture or just people ignore you. You're no longer a brand that matters. And it doesn't matter if you're a big brand or a tiny brand, you know, a new startup brand. It makes no odds if you don't get your audience. So unless you are selling to one homogenous lump of people that are, sit in one bucket, sure. you're a bit screwed if your audience doesn't, if your agency doesn't have it doesn't have the diversity and I don't just mean color and I don't just mean gender I mean class I mean financial status I mean backgrounds mm. around the world all of these things matter it matters for us it's good for us to be challenged and so if I was um to stand in front of an agency owner who was reluctant to do this there there is all the scientific and mathematical evidential data that says actually companies that are more diverse actually um, perform better but on the other side of it is also the joy and inspiration that that you will get as an agency leader from having diversity in your workforce if you really talk to people if you have those conversations if you learn about something else it it, it makes you it makes you, it helps you put the connections together to put the ideas together the, and feel the real, you know, for me, that is better than a bucket list. Mm. You know, when people say I want to travel around the world, well, you know sure. what, travel around your own neighborhood, travel around your own company, because the people that are there have so many different experiences and so many different life stories. That's the bit that's interesting. Mm. Really well said. I, I, I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for sharing it. Katie, I could speak to you about this all day, but we're running out of time. We'll have to get you back on the podcast and just have a conversation about this alone. And by the way, I know this is super uncomfortable for you to talk about this so openly. Um, so I really, you know, I really appreciate that you've done that and everyone can hear, hear the passion coming coming through. Let's get into everyone's favorite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests. So I'm super excited to ask you some of these as well. Let's start with, you said that you read a lot. So this is my favorite question. Tell us about some of your favorite books. What do you read for personal and professional development? So I, I read online a lot. So I'm not, I don't want to talk about books. I want to, I spend my evenings yeah. both swinging between Twitter, TikTok and whatever's on the news um because um yeah phone you know, you, laptop yeah, tablet yeah. tv on yeah oh totally multiple, multiple devices yeah absolutely wow. like new. um but there's a there's a rationale for that because what happens is i'll get caught in something where someone says oh there's a really interesting article about this i'll go off i'll go read the article i'll then go down another road and go oh there's a book at the end of this mm. And for me, that matters. But I always have about three or four books on the go, either as Kindles or as audiobooks. 
audiobooks I love because I can now do two tasks at once, which I love, <laughs> you know. Um, so at the moment on my audiobooks, I love detective books yeah. of any type, from the kind of Miss Marple through to the really complex, gory DCI so-and-so is uncovering a murder. And the part of the reason is I have to solve the problem while I'm doing it, right. while I'm listening. So I'm my, my brain is very occupied trying really? to go, well, it must be him. Oh, it could be him. <laughs> I, I, have, I have a real penchant for Nikki French. I can't help it. I just love okay. them because I end up trying to sort all things out. Nikki so, for, yeah. <laughs> and then there's the Choice Factory. And I cannot, I cannot remember the name of the author on the Choice Factory, which is all about behaviors and how audience behaviors really how you can use those within advertising and marketing and it Richard is Shotton. thank you thank you um and it's fantastic it's really good it's quite a good book to dip in and out of as well along with things like freakonomics those would be some of my favorite i mean freakonomics is ancient but you know still fun so all those things that you talked about from the detective books to Choice, choice Factory, uh, Freakonomics, they're all about, again, human behaviours, why we do what we do, motivations. There's a consistent theme here. Really Isn't interesting. Just... Uh, tell us about what you're watching or streaming these days on Netflix. Um, what's good TV in, the, uh, <laughs> in your household? Um, I'm struggling with this and I'll tell you why. So I, I have Netflix, Disney Plus and Amazon Prime, as well as all of the Virgin channels. This is what (laughs) happens when you have small children and they've grown up. You're left with the legacy of all the other stuff that you get. However, I'm really, really crap at watching television. Um, So I will have it on in the background. I'll watch sort of, I think I'm watching reruns of Bones at, at the moment. But I'm not what I couldn't tell you what the last episode is I watched because I'm twittering and I'm doing something else. So I'm terrible. I tend to have that. I find it very hard. I've never been able to sit through a film. I think it took me five watches to to actually understand and work out the plot of Pulp Fiction because I I kept getting up and going half. I get bored. Oh, you get bored. I get bored very quickly or I'll... In Pulp Fiction? Yeah, yeah. I move on from the story really fast. I move quickly. Interesting. So as soon as there's a break in that and the story changes, I was off. I was like, yeah, done. (laughs) I got that bit. I'm off. (laughs) Love it. Love it. What's the most interesting thing that people don't know about Katie Howe? (laughs) <laughs> I knit and crochet and I particularly crochet teeny tiny, oh, I haven't got one around here, teeny tiny things like baby Yodas and uh, groups and little hedgehogs and tiny things. And when I went to South by last year before, when did I go? When we could, last year, South by Southwest, um, I, I spent the whole time in all these lectures, but I didn't take notes. I used Otter AI to take the notes, but just listened properly with my ears. Hmm. and thought about things that they said hmm. instead of worrying about what I was taking notes on. And I crocheted, and I crocheted hundreds of tiny little hedgehogs, which I then left all over the place. <laughs> Don't want to take them home with me. Um, so if anybody did pick one up... <laughs> you know where they come from. You know where they come from now. Tell us about a time where you failed and what you learned from the experience. Oh, gosh, wish to pick. Um <laughs> I've had a real couple of car crashes when it comes to pitching and all of them, all of those failures when I don't mean just the general, you know, I failed to win a pitch. Okay. And then we unpick it and everything. I mean, I was in that meeting and halfway through, I know I have got the wrong end of the stick. I've buggered it up that one. And you start to sweat in the back of your head, you know, that one. Um, And that, it's happened to me twice where it's that part where you come out and you, and the worst thing is you're trying to be really positive for the team, but you know, mm. you know, you have not only failed to win this pitch, but you've kind of embarrassed yourself a bit. Mm. You've kind of shown them your knickers and you didn't mean to, yeah, you know, know it's that, yeah. Been there. Uh, at the time it's terrible, but what tends to happen with me is I'll go, uh, my why comes back into play and I go, okay, why did that, why did that happen? And I will look for solutions. I'll look for where the holes are. And what I think I learned was two things. One is you can't not follow the process. So, you know, the pitch to win book, pitch to win? yeah, pitch to win book. You know the one I mean, don't you? Um, no. It's, oh, I'll send it, I'll, oh, it's called pitching to win. Pitch to win. I think it's it's red. 
Oh, it's red. Justin yeah. Cohen? No, I'll dig it out for you. I'll dig it out and you can put it on the podcast afterwards. Okay, but, um, I will. The idea behind that is that there is a process and you have to go through it and you cannot skip the steps. You cannot try and shortcut or shoehorn this in. You might occasionally get away with it, mm. but at the same time, and you might occasionally fail, but you also occasionally look like a boob, <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so you have to follow the process. That's what I've learned. And the other one is that as the owner of the business, it's my responsibility to make sure that that process is not just done, but I guide it mm. because I'm the one with the most amount of experience. Mm. Not that I dictate, not that I do somebody else's job, but that I help say, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? If I do that, I get the best out of my team. I get the best out of the presentation. They present. We're all happy. It all works. Mm. And that for me has been a big learning because when we try and shortcut stuff, it fails. Mm. Really interesting. Last couple of questions and then I'll, I'll let you go. Tell us about some of your early mentors and even current mentors. Um, you said that you had a, a big group of people that you turn to whenever you have a, a business challenge or a personal problem. Who influenced the way that you think about growing agencies, marketing, social media and your own business life? Funny enough, I could say it's I mean, I am very lucky. One of the joys of growing up pre-digital is that we actually built strong relationships with partners and colleagues and things. Um, in the real world. <laughs> in the real world. And, of course, all of the people I met when we were all starting out have all become very senior people. So now I know a lot of senior people just because we, by dint of the fact we've all got old. <laughs> Never got better at our jobs. So it's not, I've not done anything smart or clever in that. It's just, you know, I've just grown up. Um, so I'm very lucky that I have a huge, huge pile of resource in supporting me in all sorts of things. So I don't have a particular mentor in the traditional sense, you know. However, I am also extraordinarily lucky to have my mother who worked in, in comms, was a marketing uh, communications professional who went and sat her own agency. Mm. And where I need probably the most amount of support, the emotional support, the bit that says it's okay that you feel a bit crap or, or that you're bored with work at the moment. It's okay. The person I can go and talk to and go, oh, I'm really bored. Mm. Or the person I can go to and say, I'm having this real problem. And between her and my absolutely fantastic husband who let me go do this mad thing that nobody had any idea about and took a took a risk alongside of me where he had no control sure. the the pair of them are probably my crutches when things are difficult for me when i'm challenged i'm um, this year is a particularly good example not just because of what's happened to everybody but I've also become perimenopausal, which means I have hormones firing off all over the place. And if it wasn't for my mum and my husband, I think I would be in a small squashed lump oh, of jelly. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I hope, they, I hope they're listening and, and they can hear that. <laughs> or, <laughs> or that you tell them regularly anyway. I'm sure you I do. do. Um, what advice would you give to a young person or millennial who wants to start their career in the social media agency world? Um, Oh, what fun you're about to have for a start. Uh, I would say learn everything. You won't be good at everything because social covers everything from copywriting to design to to paid, it, analytics, maths, art, creativity, all that sort of stuff. So, But learn it all as much as you can. Try something. Never shut a door. If you're good at copy, don't say I'm no good at maths. Try it, try it, have a go at it. And the reason is that, A, that stands you in really good stead for the squiggly career that you will have because social keeps changing, so your career will keep shifting. You know, next year, maybe, I don't know, the Americans will make force Facebook to separate Instagram and Facebook. You know, what happens? Everything sure. changes. Right. So you have to be used to that. You have to know, go, oh, I know enough about this to learn more about this if I have to. So that would be that would be number one. And number two is is play. Social is for playing. Play with it. If you want to be in social media and you don't have a social media account or a profile, go away. <laughs> play with it. Yeah. Interesting. 
Really fascinating. And my final question, Katie, what is it you know about growing a social media marketing agency today that you wish you knew 17 and a half years ago? You can never take your foot off the pedal. Keep going. <laughs> never stop. Great place to end. Katie, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it's been a pleasure. We have been speaking with Katie Howell. She is currently the CEO of Immediate Future. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 100 conversations we've had now with world-class leaders in sales, marketing, social media, advertising. Go down the list. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at nathan.agencydealmasters.com. Please head over to iTunes and give us a review. Follow me on Twitter at NathanAnnieBarber. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Christoph Blaschek is our editor slash booker. Mariam Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Annie Barber. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters. This year, the Well Company partnered with MailChimp and the Agency Collective to take their bench press survey globally. This will be the biggest report in the world, including both agencies and freelancers. By taking part in the report, you'll be able to compare yourself against your peers in several key areas, including hourly rates, profitability and sales performance. You'll also discover what the top performers do differently. And there will be insights in there that will have the power to transform the way that you do business for good. Their long-term vision is that every agency and freelancer will be able to benchmark themselves against their peers based on size, location, and the type of business that they are. It only takes 15 minutes to complete. And then, as if that wasn't enough, Peter will be appearing on our show in March to discuss the most important trends and surprising developments off the back of the report for agencies. So don't miss that podcast either. The link to complete the survey is in the description. It only takes 15 minutes, as I said. Thank you very much. Speak to you soon.